0: You've tuned in to a special edition of the Roundtable Podcast, 20 Minutes with Patrick E. McLean. Hello friends, I'm Dave Robison.
1: And I'm Brian Stevenson, filling in for Brian Humphrey.
0: And you've tuned in to a special showcase episode of the Roundtable Podcast, 20 Minutes with...
1: That's right. 20 minutes with is the round opportunity to spend some time talking with the creative people that just kind of meander by our window and then we knock and they come in and sit down <laughs> and we hang out. It's pretty awesome.
0: It is pretty awesome. And you know, yeah. that's how we, that's how we got you in the seat, man. And I am so glad that happened. It's, it's great to be hanging with you, bud.
1: I like how you make it sound like I was walking by, which you didn't really notice is that I've just kind of been sitting on the park bench across the road for a couple <laughs> months
0: <laughs> eating breadcrumbs out of a
1: brown hope, paper bag.
0: Hoping, just, hoping so. No, no, that was a Ted Morton. A That was a, that was a donut bag. I know. that donut bag (laughs) (laughs) well regardless i'm glad to have you on uh flying flying side by side man Mm -hmm. let me let me introduce you to our guest host Mm right this gentleman is not one to follow the herd or walk the beaten path in fact he's not particularly inclined to accept anything as rote as given or as the way it has to be Unshackled by convention, he makes his own way through the literary wilderness, much to the delight of the fans of his literary works and the clients and students of his innovative method of writing instruction. Now, at the age of seven, our guest host was already defying the status quo when he dictated a stage adaptation of The Velveteen Rabbit. Uh, (laughs) Dictated to his mother, no less. Now, words have always been his magic and his power, and for years he wielded that power cruelly as a creative director for some unnamed advertising entity. His dark powers were great and terrible and earned him a great many prestigious awards in that sphere, but eventually he awoke to a new way of thinking, a gentler way of being, and he turned his back upon those shadowed ways." Now, he hit the spec fic literary scene back in 2005, and since then his accomplishments include five books. How to Succeed in Evil, its sequel, Hostile Takeover, its prequel, Consultation with a Vampire, uh, the short story collection, Tales I Told Myself, and most recently, Unkillable. Now all of these are available on Amazon and all have been lovingly translated by our guest host into masterful audio fiction. Now as a side note, dear friends, I I have to tell you this, and Ryan this is especially true for you. The first chapter of Unkillable should be labeled CAUTION. Do not listen to this while doing anything requiring even a modest portion of your attention. Like driving on the interstate during rush hour. <laughs> Holy crap. The description of the protagonist's first death nearly had me pulling over. It was, it was so intense, so chilling. Uh, and I don't think I'm giving anything away by talking about the protagonist's first death as the title of the book is Unkillable. Uh, He's also the creator uh, of an innovative method of writing instruction called Good Words Write Order, an executive coaching and small group training system that teaches effective and efficient writing based on human performance rather than grammar. His innovative instincts actually extend to culinary engineering, where he recently developed a radically effective aluminum kitchen exhaust manifold system. Now, okay, it was a strategically positioned piece of tinfoil folded lengthwise, but this simple effectiveness of the solution is indicative of our guest host's ability to evolve solutions to problems that have plagued humanity. Uh, Now, by the way, in the event of the apocalypse, is he going to reach for a gun? No. A sword? Explosives? Oh no, dear friends, the first thing he's grabbing is a pair of bolt cutters. In his words, with a pair of bolt cutters and a little persistence, you can get anything else you want or need. Now, interestingly, he's on the design team for a computer game called Wasteland 2, and just a few months ago, he flew to Newport Beach and locked himself into a room with the design team and a three-foot-tall stack of pages that represented the game script at that point. Can you imagine that, Ryan? Holy crap. Three feet of story that they're going to be going through. And the fact that he's here today and the fact that nobody died is a testament both to his teamwork and his diplomacy. In fact, I think it's safe to say the world has plans for him because he's made it through some things that most of us wouldn't have survived. Uh, Locked in a room with game designers is one. (laughs) Getting shot while driving the streets of Los Angeles is another. Uh, But the one that really leads me to think he's living a charmed life is this at one point many years ago when he was slammed with deadlines. His wife walks into his office while he's frantically typing away and she's holding one of those take-home pregnancy tests and announces in a slightly freaked-out tone that she was indeed pregnant. To which our guest host is reported to have replied, fuck you, you don't know how to read that thing, bring me the instructions. (laughs) Dude should have died right then and there, but either his (laughs) wife is incredibly cool and understanding, or he's a silver-tongued devil, or the universe has plans for him. And regardless, dear friends, we certainly have plans for him, at least for the next 20 minutes or so. So, dear friends, please welcome to the big chair here at the Roundtable Podcast, Patrick McLean. Patrick holy crap I, I i can only imagine what a frothing mayhem your schedule is with all the stuff you have going on so we're really grateful you're taking the time to share some thoughts with us man we appreciate it
2: i gotta tell you that has to be the best intro anyone has ever gotten anywhere he, That he was good stuff. <laughs> thank mm-hmm. you very much i'm i'm glad to be here you just turned my entire day
0: around that's my job. That's what I do. Now, any, any egregious
2: errors? Did I miss anything, or are we pretty much on track? No, there? you got everything right. Um, shocking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah was, uh was uh, the, initial, the initial scene of finding about, out about my son who's going to be a year old next month. Uh, uh, that, that, yeah, that was, that was every bit as graceful as you described it.
1: <laughs> Just so I'm clear here, did you get shot and then you said that, or did you say that and then you got shot?
2: <laughs> no, it was, um, as it turns out, as it turns out, she was pregnant, but she was just uh, she was nuts the entire week. We laugh about this now, and and she was she literally on her way to go to the uh, lady parts doctor. Uh, there's, a, there's a term for that that I, I'm missing here. There is, um, yeah. <laughs> and she's just so freaked out about this. I'm like, just go see the actual doctor, because you know, like you're gonna go see the, you know, and he'll know. And uh, yeah, it was it was uh, so it was kind of a rough week anyway. Oh, but, uh, but, but the whole the it's whole, good that you can all look
0: back on it and laugh well, That's the awesome.
2: whole point of that story is and there's a little essay that you, you found that I wrote about that which is talking right. about um, you know the importance of story and <laughs> the, the punchline was you know years from now when my son asked me what it was like when we found out that, that we were going to have him I, I'm going to lie that's
0: no, tell <laughs> 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 that story. And the rest of us will be right here with the URL, saying, "No, no, kid, here, here, check this out. Here's the real story."
2: Yeah, well, I figure I'm going to get a couple months
0: before that happens. Mm. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. Exactly. Well, look, Patrick, let's uh, let let's get down to the business of discussing your mojo. I'm ready to start my uh, my 20 minutes with Patrick McLean. Hey, let's go. So, yeah, I'm going to mark set our timer here so we can ignore it later. But there we go. Um, Patrick. Uh, you are what I call uh, a conceptual deconstructionist. Um, I mean, it seems like you've got this gift for for taking nebulous ideas or or these intuitive processes and 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 you drag them into the harsh light of day and and point them out to us. and and it's it's almost it's almost like you've you've cracked the code on the creative process. Uh, uh is is that true do you, do you do you have some uncanny insight into how our brains evolve creatively uh, and if so could you share that with the rest of us
2: well sure I'll, I'll do what i can thank you for thank you for the kind words it's basically that i'm just a nervous person on some level you know especially in advertising when you when your job is coming up with ideas uh, and your your livelihood depends on coming up with ideas, and everyone in that business talks about this is a business of ideas. We need creative people, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but no one actually talks about how how that process works and why it works well and when it works badly and why it breaks and you know all, all those things. So I, that's kind of where I started with all this stuff. I wanted kind of to know how it works so I wouldn't have to be so nervous about it. Um, so there there are a lot of things about. A creative process that that seem like magic and there are some there's some portion of it that is magic but uh the other stuff I, i'm not so sure that uh, it's all that magical i think it's it's work and you have to understand how the brain works so uh you know one one example of that might be um the state change that happens when you move from ty- typing to writing longhand so one of my favorite tricks is if i get stuck on something i, I move to writing longhand and there's, there's a couple of reasons why i think this may or may not work uh, it works for me um and it, it seems to work for other people um actually i was reading something about Hemingway I was talking about he always wrote always wrote in pencil in his first 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 draft and the reason he did was if he had to type his draft after he wrote it you know not only was it more flexible and pencil pencil but if he had to type it after he got another stab at rewriting writing
0: <laughs> <laughs> first first editorial pass right there and
2: i i've done that you know i've done that with things i've written a lot of things long longhand and retyped them and i've especially noticed for Uh, very, very difficult things um, where every sort of word matters. Like if you're writing a radio spot, uh, most radio spots are terrible, but to try and craft a really, really good radio spot it's very, very difficult to do. You know, you're really crafting every word, and uh, it seems to work better longhand.
1: Okay, that's interesting. You mentioned that I wouldn't mind if you could kind of elaborate a bit on that switch, that that concept that when you're typing and then you move to longhand, or any uh, environmental shift that you can make like that that lets you hit that reset button on the creativity and get those juices pumping through the engine again. What what else is it about that switch that you find helps jumpstart your creativity?
2: Um, I think there are two things. Initially, the idea I had with this was uh, I stole it from a book called uh, *The Inner Game of Tennis* and uh, Timothy Galway. Don't anyway. Uh, he was he was a tennis coach and he noticed that people had the physical skills to play very very long volleys, but as soon as the ball went over the net three times, they would freak out because they were like, "Oh, that's a long volley." <laughs> And, and everybody does this to a certain extent if you become anxious about something. So when you, uh, so he, he surmised and did some research, and he sort of broke it down like this. There's a critical part of the brain, and there's a creative part of the brain. And there's a part of your brain that always wants to tell you you're doing it wrong, or point out what you're doing wrong, or all that you know, um, that inner critic. So when I write longhand, my inner critic gets to pay attention to how I'm forming the letters and tell me I'm doing it wrong. And it gets to be right. Because my handwriting is horrible, <laughs> yeah. and then at that point, the rest of my brain is still going. It also changes. It also changes the pace,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, you know, at, at which things are coming out, and gives you time to be more thoughtful. You know, you're trying to scribble a thing down. as, you know, um, and and the the other thing it does, which is which is really interesting, uh, from, from some other things I've encountered, is it's it's using different parts of your nervous system. You know your writing is slightly different part of the brain than typing, and that also jostles you out of things. So um, that that third one, I don't know as much about as I would like to, but uh, anyway, it my works. point is, my point is it works. It works for me. Well, and i I
0: can tell you if you want to experience that, we i re- I recently got laid my hands on a dragon naturally speaking, that that voice to text software.
2: Oh, isn't that weird when you try and do it that
0: way? Oh, man, it freaked me right out. I figured, oh, this is going to be brilliant. I'll be able to speak. I can just type away. I won't have to type again. And holy crap, you do not talk like you type. And I don't think you write longhand the way you
2: type either. I Hmm. I don't think so. Uh, And the the other thing that, that is very interesting that I try and help people with when they You know, like I've been writing my whole life, so writing's a very different experience for me than than for some people. I've really developed those those pathways. But if I take somebody who's um, who's an executive, you know, and they need to clarify their writing quickly, and they're not going to spend their they're not going to misspend their childhood reading genre fiction. I mean, they're just (laughs) not going to do that. Oh God, no! (laughs) Uh, uh, They 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 miss their window for reading. uh, You know, what's what's like the just the weirdest thing. you know, just anything really. Uh, they, they didn't read a Neil Ron Hubbard. How about that? How no, sure, about that for being a genre fiction?
0: No, no Fritz Lieber or or Lieber.
2: Oh or, man, like Fritz that. Lieber. Yeah, uh, uh, Fafford and the Grey Mauser. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so they, so they didn't do that. So what are they going to do? Well, one of the ways to to improve your writing immediately is to is to read it out loud, because. Mm-hmm and this is this is fact neurologically we've had language much longer than we've had writing so the part of our brain that's evolved to deal with language is much much better at it than the part of our brain that reads it and tries to make sense of it oh my god i resisted this literally i I knew this and i resisted this for years and then i did a podcast called the shanaki and every i did an essay or a short story uh every week for a year And uh, I had to read it out loud and rewrite it. And I got much better. And this was after 10 years of being literally making a living as a professional writer. And I got so much better. Wow. So really read it out loud.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's all I I can say. I think that's the biggest one. I've I've been I love that process personally, and I find that once you start, it's like you said, when you start speaking the words out loud, you you're able to make connections to the language that you may not necessarily have made when it's written. Now that now that said, I've heard a lot, especially in your intro, about that component of performance and acting that that kind of exists within your creative milieu as well. So does that play into your creative process when you're writing? That I ask that question. I know it's a very general question, but I ask that question because uh, one of the pieces I've been working on personally is inspired entirely out of my. Attempt to do a very poor Texan accent. And, uh, uh, you know, sometimes that's all it really takes to inspire an idea is, is a sound or a motion or even a hand gesture. I was curious if that plays into you as well. If we take it out of the writing, how does the performance play into it for
2: you? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I totally agree with that, and I, I think that's the only way that I can I can work with dialogue. I can, I, I don't have anything to say about writing dialogue. It, uh, it, it, it's almost if you if you throw something in another voice, it it starts to bust things up uh and that that definitely that definitely helps but the human performance part of it is is looking uh i was rather looking at at, at the task of writing the way that um like uh, sports physiologists look at the task of like running you know rather than going okay there's this tradition and then the standard set of grammar and rules like the way writing is taught really sure they, they someone makes you feel like um well you're 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 really not good enough to do this you <laughs> mm-hmm. you don't have the natural talent you know you didn't go to the right place an mfa program i mean i don't i don't understand that world at all however if you look at it more like a software development process all of a sudden there aren't really mistakes there are mistakes in architecture there's a mistake in design there's a uh, typo becomes a bug it becomes something that you fix
1: mm-hmm.
2: right yeah. rather than something that you go oh my god i'm I'm just not worthy. And that's a much more productive way to think. about
0: it. And it becomes an iterative process as well, a cyclical process that goes around and around and improves with each
2: pass. Um, So, so some of the stuff that I'm personally trying to do is figure out how to make my, my process. And some of it doesn't, doesn't work or isn't working for me, but how to make my process more, more free and more iterative.
0: We'll be back with more of our conversation with Patrick E. McLean after this brief promotional break. So, this Dave Robison guy here at the Roundtable podcast, he says that you find what you're looking for, right? But I promise you, none of us were looking for enormous Thulian death spheres to fall out of the sky that morning that came to be known as the Invasion. When they wiped out more than half of the world's metahuman population, Echo had to find heroes to fill the ranks to help save the world. And it's not easy. For us to save the world, we've got to first save ourselves. The Secret World Chronicle,
2: a podcast novel series written by Mercedes Lackey, Dennis Lee, Cody Martin, and Veronica Jagger, Narrated and produced by Veronica Jagger,
1: Available at iTunes, Podio Books, and at www.secretworldchronicle.com.
0: Now, let's get back to the conversation with Patrick E. McLean. Well, give us, give us an example. Give us an example of what's not working, what you yeah. just recently discovered that isn't working for you. And, and what did you discover recently that is?
2: Um, well, I'm, tr- I'm trying an experiment with GitHub. Okay. And if, if you actually go to GitHub and you look under my name, you can find a story and process. Uh, <laughs> now github
0: to 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 our listeners who may not be as geeky as the rest of us um uh, this is a code base platform mm-hmm. it's a code base environment where people upload versions of code and you're uploading your
2: stories there yeah well i have i have a bunch of commits so you can actually see how this thing has i don't know i spent maybe three weeks on it I, and you can see that you can see an abandoned draft you can see you can see two abandoned drafts and you can see how that's going to be refolded back into this thing
0: abandoned branches and versioning of your software
2: i'm sorry your story yes yeah i I didn't really i didn't really version it because i'm not too sure i understand it that much but my the best man in my wedding is is a developer Ah. so we had we had talked about this and i was like you know that's interesting what i really wanted to do is find a way to go directly from markdown files to a finished ebook and it doesn't doesn't quite work that way (laughs) it's it's close but what 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 I'm finding, you know, that, that when I tried to really think about this as a software, you know, like to to try and write a requirement, requirements for a story, oh, man. Mm-hmm. It, it just doesn't fucking work that way. <laughs> um, you know, because I, I think, and it, at least this is where I, I'm at, I just have to figure out what I have in me, you know, to get out. Like uh, Stephen King had this great interview. And someone was talking about writing horror or whatever was not literary. You know, it wasn't a genre. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't appropriate to serious writing. And like if, if there's ever a serious writer um, of fiction, it's, it's Stephen King. Like he's, oh, hell yeah. he's, he's, he's the Dickens of our time. The guy is love him or hate him, love or hate the genre. The guy's amazing. Yeah. And, um, and what he said, I thought was so self-aware and so brilliant. He said, I'm sorry. This is what I got. <laughs> this is this is what was given to me. This is what I have to write, and I just thought that was great. So mm-hmm. you know, part of part of what I was like, I think that getting better at something is is you know you set goals. Okay, I'm going to do this standing on one foot. I'm going to try and I'm going to try and only do this in the first person. So unkillable, really was I want to tell a story and I'd never done it before uh, that comes from just one character's point of view the narrator's point of view okay the guy the guy gets killed at the beginning so that was kind of the and i had an idea about it but uh but that was kind of what i wanted to do uh with that and that was the thing i practiced so if you look at like if you look at every pixar movie right every single pixar movie they pick one thing that they're going to try and figure out how to do an animation better than anybody's ever done it before okay in the in the incredibles it's hair in uh cars it's speed okay the sensation of speed
0: yeah
2: Uh, so, so they they're, they're stretching a little bit and I think that's great. So you, are you doing the same thing with your works? I was trying to I'm, I, and I, I'm trying to and that was really what the Shanaki was all about. I would pick you know a thing and, and try and do it some of those. But the deal is like I wanted to try this really realistic style you know where you don't have any narration and you, you like a, like a real omniscient narrator voice and you really sort of you know cut right to it and you know what? that ain't me <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> that's just not like the minute the minute i move to really this sort of very strong you know funny authoritative voice like um you know like douglas adams or or terry pratchett they're constantly playing with the narration and they're constantly making jokes and stuff sure sure. the
0: the narrator has personality uh, yeah that's
2: that's like that's the stuff that i that's what i enjoy doing that's what keeps me going so too much of that experimentation I think you just have to figure out how you do it. So you didn't—you didn't enjoy writing Unkillable? Uh, I did enjoy writing Unkillable. Okay. I did um, there were parts of it that, that were very difficult, and I think you know, I'll tell you another story about the creative process. Please. Which might explain uh, a couple of things. One, um, <laughs> when I uh, I wrote Unkillable, and my plan was to write a thirty thousand word novella, a thirty thousand word novella, a thirty thousand word novella, and then make it a novel. So write a novel in installments.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm.
2: So, obviously, that one is not quite finished, or it's it's it, there's a there's a sequel planned. I mean, you can hear it, and you can go, oh, yeah, there's clearly a sequel here. Oh, yeah. Well, I wrote the sequel. I wrote 35 40,000 words of the sequel. Yeah. And I put it on ice for a while, and I was pretty busy, and Memorial Day rolls around, and my, my wife was out of town, and I'm like, you know what, I'm going to take this weekend, and I'm going to edit the shit out of this thing. I am just going to make so much headway. I got, like, you know, I got, like, lots of coffee. I got nothing else to do. I'm tired of dealing with anybody. And uh, I opened it up. And within an hour, I was in utter despair. Uh Uh-oh. It was totally broken. Oh, man. Totally broken. And some of the writing is really beautiful. How is that possible? How does that happen? Yes. See, that's it. See, that's the question. So going from despair to, okay, I was really excited about this when I wrote it. How could I be that excited about it and it be this broken? And it was, and this is very humbling too. It was okay. Obviously, there's something I don't, I don't know what I'm doing here. There's some part of this process that I'm missing. <laughs> and part of that was, you know, how story, you know, was was structured. And I would kind of listen to things. So I went kind of on a tear and started outlining things and started uh, started reading a bunch of books on the subject. And some of them are good and some of them aren't good, but what I try to do is get to a place where I could have a way to deal with the outline of the story without actually having to write the thing to figure out whether it was good or bad, because that's that really doesn't work.
0: <laughs> it's certainly certainly not the most efficient use of your time, anyway. No.
2: Yeah. So, but I don't think that's actually the most productive thing to do. I, actually, I don't think that's the most effective thing to do, because like if you outline something, you start to lose all the. I find that you lose some of the passion for it, and it just sure. turns into turns into a job. So, I think that it's really useful to do things like that, to internalize the structure of what you're trying to write, but, um, you know, the, I, I don't know, It's it's writing is a really, really compli- complicated skill. It, it's the intersection of a lot, a lot of things.
1: It's funny when you're talking about this, and I'm thinking to myself, um, I, I really respect the fact that you came into this interview talking about that inspiration for you to start writing was the idea of, of being nervous, and so to hear <laughs> someone say they're nervous, but they're not an outliner is is fascinating that's i just get this picture of you just charging ahead (laughs) totally oblivious and blind to what may or may not have even made you nervous because that's the kind of thing that gives you that thrill so it it, i I just wanted to comment on that it's not very often that i hear someone use those two phrases to describe themselves that they're not specifically fans of outliners and that they're nervous well no
2: listen i've outlined lots of things I, i think uh i i just think that sometimes to keep the juice going you have to you have to be willing to just you know, let it keep all keep the go. juices flowing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fly, j- jump into the void, as it were. Yeah. I, I will say this also about writing, and this is the most important thing. I have a I have a diagram that I use, and it. Uh, I, I when I was researching what I was going to do to you know put together a class or a lecture and do some coaching, I found this article on the from the Cambridge Handbook of Expert Performance. Oh, my. Task of writing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well. Yeah. So you know what is this task, and they broke it down into a bunch of things, and I thought. If, for the first, you know, like, lots of academic things really fall apart when you get to practice. <laughs> um, you know, people who, you know, seriously, I, I, I don't know, like, the, you know, lots of people who teach writing, they're not writers. They're not, like, ha- have to hammer it out every day. Sure. Regardless of what you think about fiction or not, there is a skill of, okay, I have to edit this page of text. I have to write a bunch of stuff, and I have to do it on deadline whether I'm sick or not. I mean, that really... That, that's a different world than uh, we're going to. We're going to talk about our feelings about our parents in this workshop. It's totally different. So, uh, so I was a little skeptical, but they said that writing was. Let me see if I can pull this off the top of my head here. It was using the language, which in- included grammar, syntax, usage, and diction, uh, under that one thing, and then it was uh, uh, you know sort of subject matter knowledge, general knowledge, problem solving, you know, or ideation, and then the last one, which was the biggest one for me, was the emotional challenge of writing. <laughs> hmm. Okay. And and I was like, Yeah, but it really is, because if you write yeah. anything where you're pushing yourself, you're afraid, you feel like you're not good enough. You're and that is really one of the hardest things to manage and nobody talks about that.
1: Okay. Right, that's a hundred percent valid is that, that's that's exactly what you're talking about that happened with your second draft right that idea that you come back to it and suddenly there's that now focused and not distracted part of your brain that critic you talked about saying oh dude what and the heck is this right.
2: it yeah. was right and i looked at, i went back and looked at it uh, c- a couple of months ago because somebody sent me an email like i really love that and i want a sequel and i'm like I, uh, I,
0: uh, uh, <laughs> i'm sorry I'll see you this. but what happened what, what how how and and I guess and and that's the thing that I'm that really intrigues me Patrick is that you you've you've got the authorly the writerly chops you you wrote a, a a splendid story you've written several splendid stories you wrote a sequel so this isn't even a new world you're just exploring deeper into a place that you've already been with characters you've already engaged with and and it didn't
2: work what what happened <laughs> uh i don't i don't i don't really i don't know i mean if i if i knew i wouldn't have done it um,
0: well yeah no of course but I, w- I would assume you looked at it and you you tried to break it down and figure out what what happened so it wouldn't happen again right
2: yeah i mean part of it uh part of it was um i just i tried to do too many things at once <laughs> basically uh, okay um yeah. I, tri- I tried to be too clever by half I- i'll tell you that um one of the, well, I can't tell you that. It might ruin it if I ever do it. But, <laughs> but there was some really funny stuff. And there was some really, one of the things that I'm really proud of in Unkillable is I think in certain points I managed to capture, just, just so everybody knows that the hero gets killed in the first chapter, but he's brought back, but he's not exactly alive, but he's not exactly dead. So it starts off as, a, it, it, the work is really about realizing that life is beautiful and valuable, and this guy's life kind of sucks and he's really bitter until he dies and he's sort of this zombie like character who can be hurt but can't really be killed
0: which is a brilliant premise just awesome and executed very nicely
2: well thanks but but it's this the the really the the beauty of it to me is that he comes to realize what he's lost and what it was worth so there's there's a scene where um like he can't drown but he's the bottom of a river and i just like that is uh, i think i think i did that that really well the rest of it you know there's some good stuff but it's it's not just funny it's there's there's well, you describe it. You listen to
0: it. Absolutely. No, it was. It was It was. an exploration. A, a guy who has no clue what's going on, plunged into circumstances where it seems like everybody else does, uh, but isn't giving with the details as he tries desperately to get a handle on this new lease that suddenly he sees a much larger world than he was aware of when he was alive. And, and the desperate struggle because the clock is ticking to actually maybe come out of this if not ahead, at least with a second chance or an opportunity. At least with understanding
2: what the hell happened. Exactly. So the question is, if you've got that and you've got that dramatic tension, what do you do with the second one?
0: Yeah. Good point. See, that's the,
2: that's the problem. I see. Okay. So I, did, I didn't... I had the characters and I had some nice ideas about some more characters and some more situations, but I didn't have that thing. That theme. That the first one worth writing. That core theme. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There yeah. You go. So I was... Um, I actually have something on my wall. There's a guy named uh, George's... Simenon, he wrote. he uh, alternated between writing detective novels and serious novels, okay. and he wrote, I don't know, like 200 novels in his lifetime. He's a French guy. And uh, this, this is his method for writing, which I find very interesting. Uh, this is taken from an interview with the Paris Review, I think. I taped it to my wall, so I'm going to read it to you from my wall. <laughs> uh, he wrote, as soon as I have the beginning, I can't bear it very long. So the next day, I take my envelope, take my telephone book for names, and take my town map. Um, he writes all the names of the main characters and their family on an envelope. Uh, you know, to see where exactly where things happen. Two days later I begin writing, and the beginning will always be the same. It's almost a geometrical problem. I have such a man, such a woman, and such surroundings. What can happen to them to oblige them to go to their limit? It'll sometimes it'd be a very simple incident. Anything which will change their lives. Then I write my novel chapter by chapter. Huh. And like there's no there's no more limit for Dan to go to. Right. So that, that, maybe that's what it is. I'm like, really articulated. It. Thanks for asking the question.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and gentlemen, I, I hate to say it, but uh, uh, a, a, a crazy Slavic guy just came up and and stabbed my clock in the heart with a
1: screwdriver uh, and killed it. So uh, <laughs> I, 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 you got to let just, me ask one last what? thing, though. No, oh, one last small. thing. All right. Real I quick. Promise. Real quick. Yeah. This is important to me. Okay. Uh, titles. You kill titles, bro. You're like the title guy. <laughs> I just want to know. Uh, where in the creative process the title comes up? Real quick.
2: Uh, sometimes it comes up at the beginning. Sometimes it... it so it really varies oh, for you? Yeah. So if you, there's actually a video on the Good Words Write Order site uh, in a feed and also in that YouTube channel yep. about how to write headlines. Yep. Um, and that really is the same discipline for writing titles. So awesome. if you really... You, it's, not, it's not that I probably i'm a little faster at it probably i have a little bit more of a gift because i've done it but just write a shitload of them and then come back and write a shitload more of them and be okay be okay with writing bad ones and you will get to a good title for anything you're writing gnarly thank you outstanding
0: patrick this has been awesome and and remarkable and and a wonderful exploration of of your unique perspective on on the craft and and (laughs) no really we appreciate it man thank you so much Mm. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for having yeah, me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and Ryan, what what do what you what are you taking away from this? What what was the standout moment for you? There's quite a few of them, but I think I the the big one, <laughs> yeah,
1: the big one for me was still that commentary about that nervousness. That's something I can very much relate to, and it's kind of refreshing to hear someone else just sort of say, I feel like I'm in an Al Anon meeting or something <laughs> like that. Someone else just admitted they were an alcoholic too. That's so right. hi Ryan. It makes me feel better. Yeah.
2: <laughs> if you're if you're scared, that's how you know you're
1: not a hack. Absolutely.
2: Cool. There you go. I always
0: say for for stage fright, people say, "God, I'm I'm so nervous before I go onto the show." It's like, dude, if you're not nervous, you don't care enough. Nice. Uh, so you need to be a little edgy. And and for me, the the thing I'm taking away, the thing that just blew my frickin' mind was was the realization that our brains have held language in them longer than they've held writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and that's you know personally in our own span of time, but also as a species. Uh, uh, and the notion that the things that that trigger our vocal cords and that cognitive element of our lizard brains are much older than the ones that read through the eyes and interpret that way. And that, I'm going to have to chew on that one for a while. That it's, just, it's by millennia. Oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, exactly. I mean, we're talking, you know, eons, evolutionary epochs of time. Just uh, yeah, your
2: your ear is smarter than your
0: eyes. The way I say. Boom! It. There you go. See, he's good with this, isn't he, Ryan? Yeah. <laughs> he, he, he must be a writer. Oh <laughs> uh, well, friends, let me tell you something. Uh, uh, as as long as we're slinging gratitude, thank you. Uh, and I do hope you guys enjoyed that as much as we did. Ah, pfft, what, what am I saying? Of course you did. And if that is indeed the case, then please feel free to pay it forward. Let the world know about the roundtable in your own unique way. Whether that be uh, shouting it from the rooftops, that's always cool. We like that. Uh, you can also blog about us. Uh, drop a review out there on iTunes. Shoot us an email. Send it, Send us an email to thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. We love to hear from you guys. And so many of you have. And we appreciate that. We're out on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast, And you can find us on Twitter at writerspodcast So avail yourself of any of those and just uh, uh, send some love our way and send it out into the world Now mm-hmm. we just went through this awesome dialogue with obviously a very insightful and uniquely perspectived individual Now in just a couple of days we're going to bring that guy back And we are going to workshop the hell out of an awesome story. I cannot wait. It's going to be fabulous. Uh, But we've got a couple of days to kill between now and then. So, Ryan,
1: what do you think, man? Every week it's like Christmas, bro. You just got to stay tight and wait for that... uh... the the magic to happen but you know what I always say baby you gotta keep hydrated stay
0: hydrated right on Gotta stay hydrated (laughs) hydrated. that's really good writing advice too Ryan lives by that that's right swears by it Mm -hmm. for myself I will always tell you dear friends you find what you're looking for so look for the awesome stuff look for amazing wow and you will find it I guarantee it eventually some point you will so you guys stay cool we will see you in just a couple of days until then be cool be frosty be awesome we'll talk to you soon bye bye This episode is copyright 2013 by The Roundtable Podcast and released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Share Alike License. That means do not sell it, but you can share it all you want. And you can even use pieces of it in your own production, as long as you release that production under the same licensing terms and attribute us as the source. This particular episode was produced by Lucy LeBlanc. Theme music provided by the talented Hepcats of BroTown. Gary Gold, David Labroyer, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you want to be a guest writer or guest host, or just learn more about The Roundtable Podcast, visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com. We're also out on Facebook at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast and on Twitter at writerspodcast. And you can always email us at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com.